out of Austin, Texas. You're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean. Good afternoon. This is Sheila. It's day 25 of 100 Days of Calling. Oh, good Lord. So today came down heavy as far as like sourcing and things that um, I have decided to pull up here. But one of the things I really wanted to show you um, was this one, one thing. So El Chapo has exposed some U.S. officials in the drug trade. It's old news that's new news again, so I'm just going to run this through my mic. So this the source is the Epoch Times Crossroads with Joshua Phillip, so I'll just run it. I want to talk about also, speaking of gun trafficking, does anyone remember Fast and Furious when the Obama administration was selling firearms to the Mexican drug cartels? Well, interesting, something big on this. El Chapo in Mexico is calling out the U.S. government and corruption in the U.S. government is basically being one of the foundations of the cartel operations. Uh, pretty dang significant, folks. Uh, that, I'm going to jump over to Epic TV exclusively for this one, though. We'll go into a few other things today. Um, I'm going to talk about El Chapo and his, frankly, exposing corrupt officials in the United States as being a core piece of the Mexican drug cartels and their operations. Uh, how that ties into Obama trafficking drugs to Hezbollah, how that ties into Obama allowing for the trafficking of firearms, killing people in Mexico and on the U.S. side of the border, and how that all got swept under the big rug of government action. Um, we're going to go into this in a minute, folks. That said, uh, let me show you, speaking of which, the trailer I did of the uh, special feature on my investigations in the U.S.-Mexico border, because it's not just drugs, it's not just guns. The government is also trafficking in humans, one of the largest human trafficking operations probably the world has ever seen, being financed by the U.S. State Department, your own tax dollars, being funneled through the United Nations International Organization for Migration, and being passed along in turn both to migrants, giving them $40,000 interest-free travel loans, which they can't trace them in the country, and so who knows where that money's going. Mm -hmm and also to NGOs which are trafficking them all throughout the United States. Folks, this blows apart the different narratives they've made when it comes to illegal immigration and their actions to try to stem the flow. It's, it's a bunch of nonsense. They're lying to you, and I will show you how they're lying to you. Let me show you a trailer of this, folks, and we'll jump over to Epic TV. What use is a wall if the migrant crisis is being facilitated by the United Nations working with NGOs. Many of the people that can't get visas to come, like, start off in Mexico, they start in South America. Is this a coordinated effort? And if so, what's the motive? Families coming across claiming asylum because they had children, but there was the same children every week. They started testing DNA to make sure that the children were, in fact, children of the parents. Hmm. 30% weren't. What's really happening at the U.S.-Mexico border? These are all human smuggling cases from the past couple of weeks. What caused the U.S. policy shift from mass immigration? Yeah, folks, check that out again. That's on Epic TV. That was my investigation of the U.S.-Mexico border. And it has a lot of information in there that just blows apart the narratives. Uh, I, I really hope that they can get more traction on it, because I think that video can change the entire discussion that we're having on illegal immigration. Not to mention the fact, folks, your tax money is going and funding it. That's your tax dollars. The money that, you know, is they're causing mass unemployment in the United States and they're bringing in five million people who need jobs, you know, more competition for it. And you're already facing problems, you know, buying gas. You're already facing problems with rising rents. Supply and demand. What happens if you move five million people into a country? Prices go up. Hmm. You can you can no longer afford houses. That's that's what happens. Not only are they doing that to you, but they're making you pay for it. Uh, this this video could change the narrative. So be sure to check it out, folks. Again, that's called the Border Deception. It's on Epic TV, folks. It says jump over to, uh, over to Epic TV exclusively now. I'll see you there.
Okay, so that was, that's of course Joshua Phillip. Um, welcome to the program, Grishnak. Um, sometimes it's a spare room, sometimes there's like 11 to 40 people in here, it just depends. So I wanted to introduce Jed Darland, he's the guest of today, and uh, Jed and I go back a little bit, definitely through COVID. Um, we had some interesting times in the state of Washington. He was my neighbor in Kirkland, Washington, uh, at the Kirkland Wash White House, sorry, the Kirkland White House. So I'd like to introduce him quickly as a... Uh, Mr. Jed Darlin, he's a political refugee from the People's Republic of Washington State. He moved here to Texas to escape the progressive policies that are driving the Seattle area into shambles. Um, he's finding a home here in Texas Hill Country in Fredericksburg. And Darlin is happy to call Texas his home, and he's happy that he moved to America. So he is a migrant, but a legal one. Darlin is active in local politics and keeps his eye on progressive policies and agendas that wish to infiltrate the Lone Star State. So welcome, Jed. Thank you, Sheila. Pleasure to be here. Yes. So um, I just wanted to get into a little bit of some of this ESG stuff that we did have a chance to talk about. There has been some developments. Um, it's too long to really read, but there was a Forbes analysis that I think is really important to look at. Um, I'm waiting to hear back again from Brian Hughes's office to see if there's any any update on the subpoena because they were trying to get a subpoena on the formulas that were going to be applied to the state of Texas on terms of the fossil fuels. And um, so there is an editorial in the links. If you go to the unsanctioned citizen box and do a little push, uh, the first link is did the Texas ESG ban have any bite? And it goes deeper into the various uh, Texas re teacher retirement system of Texas uh, bonds and funds, um, the TSRS reports, the permanent school fund. It really gets kind of a little bit more deeper into what the, the conflict is really about. They were public worker uh, funds and finances applied to the state of Texas and people who work for the, the state of Texas. And um, so uh, they had invested in fossil fuels in part, and then they were um, going to be kind of sanctioned by, <laughs> that's why the state of Texas stepped in. They were going to be sanctioned by ESG and and the Woke Enterprise SEC Avoidant um, Investors Club. So just to give an update there, um, headline from the Daily Wire reads, Get Woke, Go Broke, BlackRock Stock Downgraded from Over Risk from ESG Investing. BlackRock was downgraded by UBS analyst Brennan Hawken last week over the asset management company's adherence to the environmental, social, and government movement, also known as ESG. As several conservative state officials continue to pull hundreds of millions from BlackRock and other asset managers, Hawken slashed the target stock price from 700 to 585, according to a report from Barron's. Shares for BlackRock fell 1% last Tuesday on the news. We are downgrading BLK to neutral based on environmental pressure to, to earnings and risk from the firm's ESG positioning. Hawken remarked, citing the potential for further lost business and increased regulatory scrutiny. And that is for not minding the profit interest of people who manage money. That's their whole point. Most recently, South Carolina State Treasurer Curtis Loftus said that he would pull the state's remaining $200 million in BlackRock because of the company's leftist worldview, through which the executives undermine their fiduciary responsibilities. BlackRock, which manages $8.5 trillion in client assets, has taken voting action on climate issues against dozens of its portfolio companies, according to an investment stewardship report. So Texas behaves similarly, and they really put the screws to them this summer late this summer. So uh, I'll be happy to follow up again with um, Brian Hughes's office to see if, if there was any yield, any, any press, press worthy um, documents that were, that came of avail usable for the public interest. So I will, I will get to that. Um, so ESG is also on your particular beat, Mr. Jed Darland. Um, because of Agenda 2030. Tell us what's going on. 
Yeah, ESG, uh, the 2030 Sustainable Development Goals, um, they are coming at us from all ends. I think when they say that we're going to turn Texas blue, they don't even need to get uh, Democrats elected to office to do this stuff. Um, so I, uh, the other day I was uh, called by a friend. There was a group setting up in our local library. They were doing a public presentation, and uh, he said, God, there's some maps here you might be interested Looks like it's something that's up your alley, talking mm -hmm. about flood planning. So I went to the uh, presentation, and the group there, it was with the Lower Colorado Lavaca Regional Flood Plan. Uh, mm -hmm. There are 15 regional flood planning groups in Texas right now. Uh, they are benefiting from COVID relief funds. They were put in place and acted by State Senate Bill 8 that was signed by Judge Abbott or by uh, Governor Abbott in 2019. And they've been working behind the scenes in secret, uh, coming up with these plans. So the plan for region. Mm -hmm. uh, hey, hey, De Jed, can I get you to turn up your mic or speak closer to your mic? Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm on my. Just a tad. Okay, is that any better? A little bit more. Um, well, I've just got my ear pods, my AirPods on. So, is it okay? Is it making a difference? Yeah, now it is. Thank you so much. That's so much better. Okay, great. Um, so uh, this, as I said, it was from uh, State Senate Bill 8, signed in 2019 by Governor Abbott. And they put these uh, 15 regional flood planning groups together, uh, and they're all working on their individual plans uh, to make it seem like it's a local thing. But um, I'm here to tell you, obviously, this is an international effort. And um, it, it harkens all the way back to the original Agenda 21 documents, right? So if you look at Agenda 21 um, on Chapter 18, uh, it outlines how they want these flood plans. The first round of flood plans was in the year 2000, and the second uh, round is supposed to be done by 2025. Now, um, I, so I, I stumble across this group, and they actually said, how did you hear about this? Uh, as if they were surprised that anybody showed up. Um, so I asked a couple questions. I looked at their documents and I took a couple photos of things that I thought would be interesting. And I got some information to look into it more. Uh, the first thing I noticed, they had a 490 page document that they had prepared for the region 10 flood plan, uh, which is the lower Colorado Lavaca region, uh, in Texas. And, and that includes Travis County in, in Austin as well. So, uh, it's a 43 County area. And it, it's basically the watershed that follows uh, the Colorado River all the way into the Gulf of Mexico. And so the first thing I noticed were the groups that had prepared this report. And there are three engineering firms that are listed as technical consultants. One is Half uh, Associates, it's H-A-L-F-F. -F. One is Friesen Nichols, and another is HDR. Um, so I looked those companies up and I, I typically do some research online that allows me to see if they're any way involved with the United Nations or the sustainable development goals. Right. And sure right. Enough, let me let me break in there and ask you a real question, which is that um, what we've noticed is that there's a lot of crossover between the UN and some of their their self-styled overreach reach, you know, kind of laundering of policy into US government. And they do that also through so they they do it through Europe, and so what yeah. I wanted to ask you was, what have you noticed about um, the ESG piece of this, and how that that kind of overlaps directly with your your work? Well, so I in researching some of these technical firms, um, there were gentle associations on some of their websites that referred back to uh, the 2030 Sustainable Development Goals. Some of them did reference the uh, ESG, like you're talking about. And, and, and ESG is sort of that framework that was set up, I think, by the UN uh, in order to establish which companies are going to be receiving loans from the World Bank. Yeah, it's a great reset thing. Correct. Yeah. And, and it's tied up with the uh, tied up with great reset stuff that I can't reach for right now. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, go well, ahead. I, I mean, the UN mentions it on their website back in, in 2018, you know, the ESG framework, and uh, they all relate it to who's going to be getting funding for this stuff. So 
if you basically put this stuff and uh, there are a lot of major tech companies and, and things that are out there right now that are setting up this environmental social governance uh, policy so that they're in line to get funding or you know, uh, federal grants or, or federal contracts. Uh, and I think really without doing it, uh, companies are opening up themselves to not getting funding. And that's sort of where you pick winners and losers and it's the people in government eventually or this global effort that are going to be picking the winners and losers and that's sort of where you get all these small businesses going out of business and that you saw a lot of that happen during the covid lockdowns um but i wasn't surprised to see that uh you know the un is alive and well in texas um you know texas is like uh you know go get them it's all it's a red state very conservative um, and a lot of people here are very comfortable because they're like, oh, well, we're, everything's fine here in Texas. We've got our rights. We've got this. We've got that. And uh, they, so they may be a little bit complacent. I think a lot like the people were in Washington state when everything just sort of rolled in on them. And the very conservative areas in, in, in Washington outside of Seattle turned right. very progressive very quickly. So I think you're seeing sort of the same thing happening here. So, so what does that look like when they when they kind of seat themselves at the table to to the exclusion of you know the regular normative interest of, of people who who actually pay the taxes so to speak well I, I think this flood plan is a great example because in their presentation that they they give they talk about how it's a bottom-up strategy they want to hear from the people they want to talk to the people the local government the county yeah, yeah. and then and then federal um, yeah, right so and they say that and it's great that they say that, but at the same time, Sheila, I was the sole citizen, private citizen, to show up at their, what they called their hybrid public meeting that was held on September 15th right. in, uh, in, in Texas. It was at the LCRA Redbud Center. And um, I showed up there well-studied. I'd researched all these people that were part of the committee. I researched the organizations that were uh, taking part in this. And I went there to share my findings with the committee. Well, I did have four opportunities to speak public uh, comments, three minutes apiece. And um, in my first public comment, I sort of laid it out that I know what you guys are up to. I was very well versed in the, the associations with the United Nations 2030 Sustainable Development Goals of the three engineering firms. Uh, even the PR firm uh, is involved. <laughs> they with... hate it when you reach for that stuff. It's well, yes. yeah. So even the PR firm <laughs> the that started the PR firm uh, also founded Hill Country Alliance, which uses the United Nations materials to to guide their activism. And they, I know uh, locally, they were in charge of helping get the Dark Skies Initiative passed, which is straight out of the UN. And even on their yeah. website, uh, they had they post an article from 2015. Uh, from the Guardian that says, oh, Agenda 21 is just a conspiracy theory. So here I'm sitting next to this woman who posts on their website that it's a conspiracy theory, but she is actively implementing the 2030 Sustainable Development Goals, which is what... Well, I mean, it's, it's not a brand. conspiracy theory if you could just show the people. It's like, well, it's right here. It is. You know, and, I, is. and I've done that. I've done that in the past. You're, you're somebody who's completely sane, you know, and I'm sick of people gaslighting regular people saying that what's, well, what they're doing, they are not doing. These are not the Jedi that you're looking for. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, these are not the drones you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, exactly. In, in 2015 at the Paris Climate Conference, they rebranded Agenda 21, and they call it the 2030 Sustainable Development Goals. Right. One of the firms that's working on our regional plan is so brazen about it that they put up the whole graphic, the multicolored graphic from the UN on their sustainability report. One of the companies only references it because they're winning – awards from the UN for their projects, uh, but they also uh, say, oh, well, we only hire Envision employees. Now, if you don't know what you're looking for, you, you can't really tell, like, the, the one organization, they're not just working on Region 10, they're working on Regions 2, 3, 6, 7, 8, 9, 12, and 15 in Texas, and they're working on regional flood plans in Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Florida. So, so it doesn't sound like a bottom-up strategy to me, right? They come with these 500-page documents that they've prepared. And it's just public information, Sheila. They're not doing anything special. They're gathering data from GIS, from FEMA, the flood plan, the floodplain information, and they're just compiling it. So they have how many buildings are in the floodplain right now and this and that. 
Um, so it's not like real difficult work. They're just compiling a bunch of no, information. No, no. I, I mean, they lay it all out there for you. And and the problem with these folks is that they they expect everybody to just kind of sleepily go along with it. And then when somebody actually shows up with with actual grounded descent, and then they have a few bodies with them, they're like, they they absolutely have no skin. They have well, no that, no me, tolerance for it whatsoever. Let me tell you, you are absolutely right. Not only did they have no tolerance for me being there, and I'm remember, I'm the only person from the public that showed up at their little private meeting. It was a public meeting. Even when I asked locally, where's the meeting going to be? I'd like to go. They're like, oh, no, no, you just zoom in. You just zoom in. I'm like, but it's right. a public no meeting. Way. I, can, I can go in person, right? And they're like, well, no, yeah. no, no, it's easier if you just zoom in. So I, I, oh, got, no. I got up early, right. and I went down there, and they made it at 930 on a Thursday when really nobody was going to be able to show up anyway except for me. And um, so it but sounds like a typical it. Washington State meeting. Yeah, except it, yeah. Was in the, it was in the a.m. instead of in the p.m. And, yeah, no, it was uh, it was pretty interesting. Beautiful uh, setting. You know, the, the Redbud Center is a beautiful place. Uh, it, it, and people should go there because what I learned is it's public property. Uh, but let me tell you, so I had four opportunities to talk. On the first opportunity to talk, the chair, who was a judge out of, uh, uh, out of one of the counties by the Gulf, says, uh, you know, you don't need to curse. I actually used the S word. And, you know, I, I kind of regret doing that because it allowed them to focus on something that it wasn't uh, pertinent to what I said. And um, But I was just using it in place let, let me let me break class, in right? here uh when things are are motivated i am beginning to learn i'm just beginning to get my my reality chops about me once again i've been reading the story of the julian assange trials mm -hmm. okay now when, when you've got a u.n body member who is exceptionally motivated by the national security interest or by some conglomerate of some evil uh, chameleon, such as the the ESG people, and uh, they will go through extraordinary measures to call any small thing a big thing. They will literally make a legal mountain out of a molehill. Um, these two women that you know were essentially they did some groupie stuff with uh, with Julian Assange, and they couldn't get him to yield to their request for an HIV test. And in Sweden, you know, you go to the police for such a thing to apply pressure to, to, to Julian to yield such a test. And they, they thought it was in the reasonable bounds of their own personal mind to do so. Okay. They took that and ran with it. Hmm. I think that there was a bulletin out on Assange that any excuse that you can get whatsoever to create or manufacture a criminal sure. environment around this person sure do it okay so unless you bring your you know top christ a game i mean it jed yeah they're gonna throw you right under the bus well it was it was kind of interesting because um it put everybody on their toes um as, as a matter of fact i said to me you are just a simply a group of marxist activists uh <laughs> voice Go ahead. I'm sorry. A global plan on <laughs> pretending that it's a, a local issue. And um, I, I videotaped the meeting myself. And uh, one of the people that was right in front of me was the lead engineer for uh, the lead engineering firm that prepared the report. And uh, his face, he couldn't control his smirk because he knew what I was saying was true. But he had this uh, sort of smirk like, yeah, you're right, but we already won. And um, I, I don't quite think that's the case. But second time I had the opportunity to uh, speak, they uh, interrupted me and they told me uh, what I could and could not talk about. And, um, you know, here's how here's dare the they? Well, there is a Supreme Court ruling, New York Times versus Sullivan from 1964, that says that public comments uh, are supposed to be uninhibited and they don't have to like what you say, Sheila. You have no. the right as a as a pub as a private citizen to address the public officials, and you're given three minutes to do so. So they interrupt my time, and That's right. uh, and then the second time I, I got to speak, uh, or the third time I got to speak, they also interrupted me, telling me that I wasn't talking about the topic, but I I was I was speaking to the agenda items, and I just worked my uh, 
my findings into those talking points. Uh, but they did have armed security come and stand next to me, threaten to remove me. They had the security guard uh, stand there the entire time. And uh, when it was finally all over, which was about two hours after I made my first public comments, and I got up to leave, I was thanked for coming. Even the chair who had interrupted me several times thanked me for coming, appreciated my passion. Uh, the, the women who were trying to make sure they had all the names spelled right thanked me for coming. Um, and when I went to leave, uh, I thanked the security guard. And, uh, and then I noticed that he kept walking with me uh, to the door. And he says, yo, I was, I was going to go for lunch. And I said, oh, well, enjoy your lunch, buddy. And, and then he walks me out and he says, actually, legally, I have to walk with you. And I'm thinking, what law is that? Why? So, so I asked him, I said, what, what do you mean you've got to walk with me? Oh, they actually asked me to escort you. I said, where? Off the property to my vehicle? He says, yeah, uh, I'm not even kidding. My sergeant asked me. Uh, to escort you just to make sure you get in your car and leave the property and I said well let me talk to your sergeant I want to find out why you're singling me out the one person that came here to a public meeting to have public comments and he says well I'm not going to call my sergeant and then I said well let oh, me talk okay, to okay well that's convenient <laughs> yeah so I said well well I, I don't feel comfortable having you escort me to my vehicle you got a badge you got a gun and I said uh well let me talk to your supervisor and he points to the two LCRA rangers who were in the parking lot waiting for my departure. And he says, oh, you want to speak to my supervisor? They just pulled up over there. So not only did he okay, lie to me. All right, all right. I'm going to armchair quarterback this as, as an activist and give you, give you some qualified feedback. Okay, you need yeah. to decentralize. When I say decentralize, you need to flank, all right? Bring other people next time, Chad. And I mean it. Oh, I tried, Sheila. I, I tried Sheila, but you know what I brought was my iPhone and I recorded the whole thing. Oh, good so for what's you. What's interesting about that is so I go and approach the LCR Rangers. Do you the have a link to the? Did you post it on YouTube? Not no, I, because I'm still in the process of public disclosure. So I have got. Uh, I started to have a conversation with these LCRA Rangers. I was under the impression that they were his supervisor, and they immediately tell me, "You're on private property. We can criminally trespass you now." First of all, let me just tell you, I was told about a dozen times by these two officers that I was on private property. The LCRI building and parking lot are both public property. So they threatened criminal trespass and referred to criminal trespass about a half a dozen times, told me I was on private property. One of the Rangers, because I did get the body cam footage from the Rangers, I asked for all the body cam footage until they left the property that day. And the, the open records at LCRA gave me about 10 minutes of footage until I left, and they cut it off before they started speaking to one of the LCRA uh, employees, the one mm -hmm. that initiated the deployment of the intimidation tactics by armed security. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm like, well, where's the rest of my footage? And they say, oh, well, you know, that footage is being held up because that's, that's deemed confidential under uh, this code right where... confidentiality now now everybody if you've been listening to the to, to the Nils Melzer okay they manipulate these UN bastards they will manipulate con confidentiality like it's a bendable thing like it has Absolutely. no real limitations but it Absolutely. is conformant everything that they have done is conformant to the law of the state of Texas and to the laws of the United States of America. In fact, Absolutely. they are subservient, and we have supremacy in this country to the UN and any UN bodies. Now, people have called me and says, well, why don't you collapse like a crappy fold foldable chair? Why don't you just go along with what the UN wants? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. because there are sovereignty issues. And now, Jed, because we are talking and we are speaking frankly together over land, over flood plans, over agendas, and the way that they govern, okay? Because you are you are a citizen of these this United States. You went into a UN body and approached them, and, and it's not a direct UN body. It Correct. is an NGO public private partnership. Correct. Okay. Correct. The slaky, the, the slaky yeah. parallel sons of bitches that we're all really complaining about. You stepped on them. And they went, ow, because yeah. they are not used to getting punched. 
They are net. They are not used to anything. In fact, I told them, you guys clearly don't want public comments, but they also don't want public disclosure. So they they have this obscure law, this ordinance. It's uh, 1706.661F. You can look it up. It is. Uh, it basically says that if a, a body cam recording from law enforcement was taken on private property, or because it was public, right? So or if it's during the uh, investigation of a misdemeanor that doesn't result in an arrest. Now, where was the misdemeanor, Sheila? No, no I... charges were filed. And see, not, I'm going to flip back to this, this Nelson Mills, Melzer. They don't even have to file charges for them to in- implicate that there was a misdemeanor that occurred. Correct. Now, here's what they did, though. They made a mistake because they had to submit this to a decision because I requested it again. So you have to know your rights as a citizen, right? If they yes. just, if I accepted what they gave me, then they wouldn't have had to do anything. But I told them I wanted the rest of my footage, and they really made a mistake here, Sheila, because I'll yes, tell you they what did. they did is they didn't just stop the video when they were talking to the guy that wants to remain confidential. They stopped the video completely. So even when they weren't talking to the guy, I'd still requested that as open public records, and they never gave me the uh, re- rationale to not give me that portion of the video. So they should have either given me the rationale to not give me that portion of the video or given me the, the video as I requested it. But uh, what they did, and they made a huge mistake here, Sheila, is that mm. they contacted the attorney general's office. And they <laughs> and I'm and sorry. They, and they asked, Get vaccinate these people. <laughs> they, they, no, sorry. Let me tell you, they, they made a huge mistake because not only did they put all this garbage in this request for decision, they contradicted themselves several times. And I don't think that they knew that I had a recording of the entire thing. So here they are trying to claim, and, and the way they're going to work it into this 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 law, 1706661F, right, that I right. mentioned, is that they are now claiming that they made a call uh, of of um, disorderly conduct, okay? And in the disorderly conduct charge, they quote the, the, the rule, a person commits an offense if he intentionally or knowingly uses abusive, abusive, profane, or vulgar language in a public place, and listen to this, and the language by its very utterance tends to incite an immediate breach of the peace, okay? So I use the, the S-H-I-T word no more than 10 minutes into the meeting, now, they follow up with this as another part of their claim. After the meeting, LCRA rangers were called and asked to respond to an act of disorderly conduct. Sheila, that was two over two hours later mm-hmm. the meeting was adjourned. So how are they going to say that I used bad language? Because I've got the whole recording. That's the only swear word that I use. And it's not a swear word. I live in the country Come on, this is what cows do. Um, so they're saying that it caused an immediate breach of the peace, yet they waited two-plus hours to contact law enforcement. Well, what's funny is on my recording and in their own body cam footage, the law enforcement says they weren't called there. They just heard a call over dispatch that was going on through security and said there was an incident there. The whole time, they never told me that they were doing an investigation for disorderly conduct not only that i asked them if i was being detained after some time they said no because obviously they would have had to uh, suspect me for a crime first and they didn't because there was no crime even uh suggested that i had broken they were just in the guys on the phone in one of the body cam photos with his um sergeant and with his sergeant he's trying to figure out if i'm on private he's telling the sergeant i'm on private property the sergeant sets him straight and says listen he's on public property there's nothing we can do. He he has the right to be there. He has the right to record. And the guy's like, well, he's in the parking lot of the LCR. Yeah, he's public property. So he's trying to convince his sergeant that I'm actually on private property. And he's trying to figure out if he should criminally trespass me. He talks to his sergeant on this body cam photo that they released to me. And it says for four minutes, he's talking to his sergeant. He doesn't mention disorderly conduct one time. Uh, You're dealing with you you are dealing with the UN and you are le- dealing with global governance, uh, national security um, handling. That's what so you're dealing beyond, with. Beyond that, Sheila, they released body cam footage to me with two other LCRA employees in it the security guard and the audio from the sergeant, not including the police officers. Now, the law 
the, the code, the occupational code that they stated in their request to the attorney general says that anybody appearing in this record has to give written authorization. So they sent, so I immediately sent another open records request to LCRA and said, oh, well, let me get the written authorization from the security guard and the sergeant and me. And they, and they said, well, we, we don't have that. And so um, in one hand, they're telling the attorney general, look, we have to follow this other obscure law in the private, uh, in the public records. Um, it's 552352A. And it says that we would be committing an offense if we distributed information confidential under the terms of the chapter. Again, I, I'm going to call it, they're squeezing and twisting the meaning of confidentiality to exclusive terms. So, Well, here's what they did. They contradicted themselves. Because yes, if they're they saying, if we, if we release this confidential information, we didn't get written authorization to put this guy's uh, information in the record. And at the same time, they don't have written confirmation or authorization from the security guard or the sergeant who are also employees of LCRA. So essentially, they're saying by putting those people in there without written authorization, we have committed a misdemeanor. But I claim, you know, look, I'm not saying that they, they, they committed a misdemeanor. I'm saying that the fact that they're keeping this one guy out of it is, uh, is nonsense. And uh, so I'm not saying, hey, you guys need you need to charge them with a misdemeanor because they they put these other people in the video that they released to me without written authorization i'm saying there was no reason to keep anybody confidential we got public employees mm -hmm. on public property operating a, their official public duty Here, here's what they're trying they're to do camera. jed i mean they're trying to tangle you up in a, in a web of nonsense all right absolutely non-legal law and so what you need to do is throw four or five people into up confiscate those webs like because they're going to throw them at at least four people and right. so and then you need to make a run at the next one with written okay right. I mean and you go in and you you uh, you hand them written statements cite written statements and do not do not come alone meaning like have some right. people that sit in the back don't look like you're together don't make eye contact you know, sign up on the list, sit quietly, don't, you know, don't look like you are together. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, I mean, come, there was, come with others. I, I, you know, I tried to get people to come with me. And, you know, what, what's, I just want to shake people and wake them up and say, listen, you, we have to show up. They're counting on us not being there. But I was the only person that I could get to go. Okay. And, hey, um, I got a caller. Would you like to talk to a caller? Blotty's pretty reliable. And he, he's from Southern California. Um, and then I'd like to, to spend just a few minutes talking about our, our history with the Kirkland White House, because okay. he, he's, he's a Trump supporter, and, um, and maybe maybe we'll get to do that. Hey, Blotty. Hello, everyone. Blotty, you're with How's us. Can you... Well, today. Oh, uh, hi, Jed. Well. Jed, uh, it just makes me. It it makes me. Cringe just to listen to you, man. It's just uh, what our country is coming to. But it's that Willis telling you, you gotta up your A game, my man. You gotta up your A game. I know you mean well and you're doing well, but I don't know that you disappear or that they hurt you or they take something. Bring bigger and more better people and make sure all of them have get to them. So that next time it won't be a public forum. It'll be open to the public, but on private land or something, which means every time right. they meet people that are true American and want to cut cut them at their knees with their NGO, ESG, or feed CD, C, CV, whatever the hell they want to put, any ABCs. CBDCs. <laughs> you know what? You're going to be so ready for them that they're not going to know what to do. And, and and you know what? CBD oil, if you, if you want to throw it in there by, by any means. Uh, the whole thing is, you're going to be so prepared in the future. I advise you, bring some lawyers, too. Bring a, a lawyer friend that knows about all this, who will be eyewitness along with five other people. Right. Make sure they're not with you. They're with you, together, united, 
but they're not with you uh, in, in, in the presence of them. Yeah, yeah. I, that way you that way they know. And you know what? Honestly, they these bastards they think they got it in the bag. They think they got it in the bag. They do. They think that's why they're that guy told you. Exactly. If we want to, as Americans, this is what some British guy here, I don't hate him, named Ziggy, he goes, well, I see you Americans, bring out, I go, when you see us Americans live up to the Second Amendment, you're going to see the rebirth of our country again. Like the tree of liberty, blood of tyrants and patriots. I mean, and it's you know, so easy for him to sit there and, and squat from wherever he is, you know, bloody. Okay, they're not allowed to have guns in the UK. So he should shut his little 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 UK fly trap. He doesn't even have a gun. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Bloody. Bloody, come back. What? The revolutionary, non-Marxist bullshit. None of that. None. Are you here? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. I mean, you cut out for about a can you minute. Can you can you go back for about okay. a you know we're maybe, be maybe a minute? The true. The, yeah. Oh man, we just lost him again. Can you hear me? Come back, Bloody. So he was talking about the. Here we go, Bloody. You were talking about the. Yeah, go ahead. He needs to be watered by the blood of. Exactly. Fire. So when that takes place, and we do a revolution, non-Marxist, none of that garbage of socialism, Marxism, but true patriotic American-loving people, red-blooded Americans. Guess what? They will know that we're serious. They will know that the Constitution stands, and they will know that there's people that are willing to defend it, both domestically and abroad, as needed. The only reason they come out with their arrogance is, remember what the Bible says? Before arrogance, before pride, comes the fall. So they're waiting for their big fall. And then they will notice, wow, we finally met Americans that do not agree with the government, do not agree with all these, with all these corporate... Uh, fascists with you know both parties are to blame in a lot of things they're in bed with them then don't know you know what it's a big beginning a new beginning of, of the united states once again yeah and you know and and uh i gave a speech uh, the other day in uh mason county uh to a big group and uh you know you got to pick a hill to die on right and i think uh in, in Texas, right. when if, if they ever try to come uh, for our Second Amendment, then they're gonna they're gonna meet that hill. And I just uh, you know it's it's a sad prospect to think that that's where we've come to in in this country today. Um, and it is it is really a, a sad story. But in the meantime, uh, people really need to show up at these these public forums, and they're not gonna they're not gonna announce them for you. They're not gonna advertise it. Just like they showed up and. I, when I went to that meeting, they didn't have any agendas printed out for the public because they didn't expect the public to show. And I showed up, and they actually had to print one off for me because I requested it. So they did have a sign-in sheet, but they didn't expect anybody's name to go on it. And um, and I, I, I wish people took it more seriously, and I wish that people had the time. You know, they, they, they knew how important it was to show up at things like this. And um, well, Well, this is the beginning of something, Judd. I mean... You know, I'm I'm out there. I'm doing my own thing, of course, but there's no reason for for you to be alone anymore. Right. I just want you to right. know that. There's no reason you don't have to. I'm going to invite Bloody to speak quickly, and then we're going to take a call from Jonathan, if that's okay. Um. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks. Thanks, and welcome back to the to the program. Hey, How you Jill. doing? I know you guys already touched on this, but that was late. So why were you there in the first place? What's that? At the oh, at the, at the the regional flood planning meeting. Yeah, what was it for? It was a public meeting. They were looking for public. They say they were looking for public input. Of course, they don't advertise this outside of their own website, which nobody would have known to go to. Um, but they were yeah. looking. I've had a similar experience, but first I want to get. Yeah, they were ahead. looking for feedback on the regional flood plan that they put together, uh, 490 pages without asking one uh, person for input. Now, let me give you some context. In my town, where they showed up for a, a, a public presentation, this is a flood plan, right? They didn't even contact the city's yeah. flood plan manager or the people who manage the flood plan for the county. But they heard about it from citizens, local citizens, who keep their eye out for stuff. And so they actually uh, did show up. 
but I was there with them and I said, hey, so this is a public presentation and you guys are presenting this flood plan, but you didn't invite the uh, flood plan manager from our city and you didn't invite the flood plan managers from the county and this is the first time they're hearing about this? How is that possible? You've got a 500 page uh-huh. document. So they're not really interested in public comments and I uh, that was part of my closing statement. To they're them. not even interested in our government, Jed. Right. So what they're like doing the is fact that they up. didn't go through through conventional channels and seek out people who actually do the land management locally shows you that this is a grab. Yeah. It, go ahead, Jonathan. Big, they're teeing up for a big handout, and that's what I had the same experience with in Dubuque, Iowa, when they come down with a 18th and Central Avenue basically beautification project where. And they, again, it was nominally open to the public. So I find out about it because I know the guy who runs a coffee shop inside one of the pieces of property that's right there at the corner. His name was Ryan. So he knew about it. He had to work so he couldn't show up. And I go and I show up, right? So they have these plans that are basically using public money to sort of upgrade all these rich people's front porches. It's basically gentrification. And the guy even says, I never said that word. He's like, oh, no. When I gave him shit, he's like, no, it's not gentrification. But it was. It was just like, we're going to take public money and put it into private hands. And that's all this was, just like your thing. It's basically a, you're teeing up for a handout. Jonathan, you said, sorry to interrupt. Like, you oh, said you're in it, Utah. Iowa. Oh, in Iowa. What part of Iowa? Dubuque. I know it's a weird no, word. No, that's, that's fine. So is it in Ickley City, I-C-L-E-I? It's a TIF city, which is T-I, the tax increment financing, which is probably something similar. Tell me what okay, Ickley so is. Okay, so Ickley is, it, they call it now uh, Local Governments for Sustainability. Um, it, it used to be called uh, something else. Um I can find the name for you, but it, it was, uh, it's essentially it's lo- it's local agenda 21. It was outlined by, um, let me see, I've got it right here. So it's, uh, the, it used to be called the international council for local environmental initiatives and, uh, Kirkland where, uh, where I live and Sheila live, um, it was an Ickley member city and they have Ickley member cities. You can, you can go to their website, icleiusa.org and look it up for yourself. But, uh, Ickley cities are essentially using taxpayer dollars to implement local, what they call local agenda 21 that was outlined in the, um, the agenda 21 documents as, uh, you know, local efforts. And it's not on their website anymore, but, uh, I have a, a screenshot where it says, Local authorities' self-assessment for local agenda 21, and of course, local agenda 21 is happening all over uh, the world, uh, not just in um, not just in. There's no municipality of any significant size in the United States that doesn't have a chamber of commerce and a city council whose only idea in their head, the only idea in any of their heads, is is to give handouts to landlords. That's the only way they think to solve any problems. Yeah. Like that they've never had another idea than that. So, and when I go and I'm like, you're moving wealth upward. You know what they said to me in this public meeting? We're not here to talk about economics. <laughs> and the other thing they said was, quote, doing nothing is not an option, which means we're not seeking public input. We're going to do what we're going to do. And you can all go fuck off. And the only other people in the room were the landlords of the people. They were getting the money. On whom the city was going to spend money. Right. Yeah, their, the their property value. Yeah, their, their, their half a million dollar property was going to become three quarters of a million by the time this was yeah. all done. Oh, uh, what do you what do you think that they think? What the fuck, well, you know? There's nobody let, who's being pushed out of the neighborhood because the increased rents are going to be unaffordable to the people that currently So it's there. interesting. They were not in, in Dubuque, Iowa. You know, Jed, everywhere, Dubuque, Iowa. And so, Jonathan, I, I looked up on yep. the website right now while we're on the phone. And in Iowa, West Dumaine, uh, Des Moines, uh, Des Moines Area Metropolitan Planning Organization. Keep your ear out for that one. Cedar Rapids, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Lynn County, Iowa, which is in the Cedar Rapids area. And University of Northern Iowa Educational uh, Institution. It's listed as Cedar Falls. It's, it's listed as one of those. So those are the Ickley member cities. That's yeah. direct local Agenda 21. But they're operating under a bunch of different names. So like if you look at... The, 
But in Iowa City, we have something that's the same thing. It's called ticks. Ta ta they basically do is they nominally freeze, quote unquote, freeze the property taxes of the people who work for a living, but they still charge you the year over year increase. And what they do is they keep the difference and they put it in a fund and they give those $8 million to the richest guy in town to build a glass skyscraper eight stories high. In Iowa, eight stories is Right, a you can see all the okay, porn so just, from there. Just give me a break. Yeah, exactly. So, but they give eight, and, they're, and they'll have a guy who's like have a barista, or he's sitting behind a cashier at a salon on the bottom floor, and they'll say, "Oh, look, we created jobs." Like that guy doesn't make in a year; he doesn't make in ten years. What you just gave the richest guy in town for free for a project that he was gonna do anyway. Eighty percent of those TIF projects were gonna happen regardless of whether they got the right. money. But the city council just looks at its job as to fleece the property taxes of people's single-family homes. That like you know these people still go to work every day. I hear you. And they funnel that money right into the pockets of the biggest landlords, and they're like, "Oh, wealth inequality is going up." We don't, yeah. Problem. And if you ask these people to their face, they say, "And I quote, <laughs> trickle down doesn't work." In in the same breath, not. I'm not even sure later. that's trickle down. That's just cronyism, yeah. Jonathan. What they that they expect that making the landlord richer is going to percolate. You know, they think it's going to spread out in the community if we just make that landlord take his asset portfolio to twenty to twenty five million. He's going to become a job creator. Yeah, uh, there's going to be bullshit jobs. There's no there proof of that, time. though. There's there's there's, no there's, proof there's really that. no Apartment proof manager. of that. That's yeah. neo. You got to know what the difference is between libertarianism and neoliberalism. Like, if you can't explain that in economic terms, then you're being performative. And I'm not saying yeah that to anybody in particular. I'm just saying that there is a difference, and it's pretty fucking big, and it has to do with things. Exactly well, so that. Jonathan, well, I, I mean, what it, I recommend. I don't know who is the libertarian in here. But I, I am, and so I'll I'll try to speak up about that. It, libertarianism is is a two part measure. There's a there's a governmental, and then there's an economic. Okay, we want less government, and far less government than say your conventional Republican. We want them to stay out of most things and and to lessen their effect. We want to smallify government, meaning if it, if it's state, we want it to be municipal if we, if it's municipal we want it to be local you know hyper local you know we just want as less government as possible so that people are able to do this but what you're describing here Jonathan is kind of more fascistic where people who have property are are expecting a tax handout for being rich now the only people that I know who do that are socialists. It's like upside down socialism, I guess. Yeah, but it's conventional, like you know, what people in Western Washington did every stinking day. Jed, am yeah, I right? Absolutely. Yeah, all day long. They're not even really capitalists because they're really just rentiers. You know, they're capitalists make shit. I sort of did this in Ben Burgess's room the other day, but I'll do a very abbreviated version. I know. I hear it's, it's no, no, no. I'm just I'm sighing day. because the, it it is burdensome. It really is. Yeah, I know. I know. But if I inherit a farm, that's wealth. But it's in order. It's just a piece of land on which a farm used to exist. In order for that wealth to become capital, I have to turn the noun into a verb. I have to make something. I have to be making something, whether it's corn or wheat or horses. And so, like, the, the people, they're taking it from people who make things and giving it to people who make nothing. And if you treat wealth like capital and be like, oh, we need to help the wealthy get wealthier, because they're gonna, no, they're not going to ever become capitalists in a good sense of the word, in the classic liberal sense of the word. They're never going to become capitalists as long as rent extraction is more, is more easy and less taxed than production. And, like, you're just harming producers and giving it to rentiers. And that's every municipality of any significant size in the whole country. That's all that they do. So even from the point of view of capitalism, they suck at it. Okay, we've got a, we've got about six minutes left. Um, I'm going to try to get a few words in with Jed. Jonathan, it's always so great to talk to you. I learn a lot from discussions like this. So I encourage you and Blotty to please keep coming back and discussing what you know about the things that are happening in... Uh, in context of uh, all of the agendas that you're seeing, because it's it's modern monetary theory scrambled in with uh, you know overreaching extranational globalist 
archi architecture, okay? And it's not something that they went through our conventional sovereign governments to do. They're just kind of, they're kind of slow colonializing. Okay, they don't want to be called colonizers either. Socialists don't want to be called colonizers when they're doing it quite this way, okay? But they're slow, they're a creeping blob of a slow, nimby, uh, extranational colonialism, all right? And they even use, um, just like in Jed's case, they use environmentalism as the justification. We have what's called the yes. branch, which is like how the Mississippi River floodplain gets sort of hedged in and redirected. And that's like used as cover for a lot of handouts. So it's the same reason, like you said about floods, right? Like the bee, what we call the bee branch is that little, it's, it's called that because it's where a lot of bee species do uh, inhabit. But that's become just the, a bunny dump. Yeah, it's the modern monetary theory. And, and what we've discovered from our, our exposition of Glenn Beck stuff in the Great Reset is that it's neither socialism nor is it capitalism. It's some kind of weird quasi-governmental, like, you know, fiefdom know it's not of NGOs. You use that word and I'm always cringing because I'm, no, socialism is worker-controlled means of production. So just combine that word to that space. And yeah, I mean, the, the leftists tend to embrace that more traditionally, I guess. And when they are considering leftist causes, they might have one or two single issues that they can really get active behind. And so they, they kind of vanguard or flank left when they're trying to be active on certain issues. And, and they, may, they may vote a certain way during an election. But if they're activists and... You know, and they're not NGO activists. They're just conventional, you know, free-range activists who have a single issue. They'll get involved with the leftist cause because that's that seems to be an easy easy door for them to, to learn about active, activism. I, I engaged in a lot of leftist activism at the beginning because hey, it was it was accessible. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna yeah. BS you people. I mean, I got I got a lot of leftist activist training, uh, but I learned a lot, and you know, I also. You know, over the years, I realized I'm not really a leftist, so I'm going to kind of migrate and see what else is out there. So nomenclature is not as much as as what you are interested in and what you are doing. So um, I'd like to talk to Jed just a few minutes because we were neighbors and we're kind of sort of neighbors again, but just really far. Like I'm in the, the lower end of Austin, the South Austin area. Um, you know, we are Hill Country, Hayes County adjacent. And um, after this, I'm going to go run and get some signs, lawn signs. Um, so, so Jed, what is the biggest difference that you've noticed, you know, since you migrated to Fredericksburg? Um, oh, boy. Well, let me, from let me Western do this Washington. before I address your question. Jonathan, look up uh, Dubuque Main Street. Main Street America is a uh, quasi-United Nations uh, program. It was put in place by the National Trust for Historic Preservation, uh, the, main, the Dubuque Main Street. Get your city out of that program. The National Trust for Historic Preservation was actually started by a uh, left-wing lab called Preservation Green Lab out of Seattle, Washington. It was started by a woman from Kent, Washington, yeah, which is about 35 so minutes from where uh, Sheila and I work. <laughs> so, John, keep your eye out. These so programs are everywhere, and I think that your tax incentive... But you have no choice but to sell it, and guess who buys it? The same 12 people. Correct, in the correct. City. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, I was... As, Successful at stopping their new art. Guys, go. guys, I've got to, I've got to wrap it. There's going to be a hard wrap at five, five p.m. Thank you for joining us, Jonathan. I'm going to have to pull you out of queue. I just wanted to talk to Jed just momentarily. Um, so, so Jed, what are your final statements before we wrap uh, here? Look, I'm happy to be living in America finally because Seattle certainly didn't feel like it. Um, the people of Texas are wonderful. It's, it's nice to be around such friendly people. Um, you know, it, I, I do want to shake some of them and say, hey, listen, we got to get active here uh, because a lot of people are super comfortable because it's a beautiful place and a nice place to be. Uh, but we are happy to be here, but we are keeping our eye out. Our city's a Main Street America pr project city, so I'm working <laughs> on defeating that locally. 
Um, but I did. I was successful in, in defeating their, their sign ordinance that we're trying to put in place uh, by attending the city council meeting and speaking up and uh, linking it to some research that I'd done. So I, you know, I suggest people got to show up. It doesn't matter if you feel comfortable. You got to you got to show up and participate to remain comfortable. And we got to keep this place uh, as, as beautiful as it is. And listen, we all love the environment, but what we don't like are globalists using climate change, environmental issues as a backdrop to pass all these leftist yeah, policies. Yeah, it's, it's greenwashing uh, so that the UN can come in and step Absolutely. all over our property Absolutely. rights. Okay, amen Thank to that, you. bro. We, we got to go. We got, I'm calling it. Thank you for joining, Absolutely. everybody.